90s was involved in a meeting uh, in an undisclosed location in China. He had a very rare opportunity to meet with the, uh, about 110 of the key leaders of the Ch uh, Chinese underground church movement. Uh, it was a highly secretive meeting. Uh, these were people, uh, men and women, so committed to God, so committed to seeing the gospel go out across China. Uh, and he spent a couple of days with them, asking them questions, trying to understand how is it that you can continue to flourish in the face of such systematized persecution. And, and he relates the point where the Chinese leaders asked him a question, which I think is fascinating because it reveals the true extent of their isolation. They asked him this. They said, can you tell us, has the gospel made it out of China yet? Has the gospel made it out of China yet? He was stunned. Like, how do you answer that? And so after a moment, he began to tell them a little bit about, about the church in his home country, which was America. Talked about how there were churches on almost every corner. That you could turn on the television and, and watch a huge number of Christian television channels. You could hear the gospel any day, uh, any night. That There were Christian universities and schools that people not only preached on the airwaves and preached in church, but people preached on the street. That, uh, that a huge percentage of the population uh, called themselves followers of Christ, that it was a nation uh, that even had Christian leaders uh, in the government. And, and it, the more he talked, the more silent the Chinese leaders became. And he began to think, oh my gosh, what have I done? What have I done? Have I portrayed a, a, a fat, prosperous, uh, sinful church to these leaders in comparison with what they are going through and, and their incredible commitment. And uh, he asked through the translator, what's wrong? And they simply said this. They said, we can't believe that God could do something like that. That he could so bless a nation that the gospel could be heard at any time, at any place, that, that our children could go to schools that preach the gospel. That you can hear the gospel on the airwaves. They just couldn't believe that that was possible and they rejoiced at how God had blessed his nation. That God had done the impossible. Isn't that interesting? You see, God is in the business of doing the impossible. I love Ephesians chapter 3, which says, Now to him who is able to do, listen to this, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us. Now that's so interesting. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask. Obviously he can do more than we do ask. He also can do more than we could ask. You see, God's ability to do is infinitely greater than our ability to ask. And so the question is, what is the immeasurably more that God wants to do in your life on which he's just waiting for us to begin to ask? You know, John Wesley, the, the founder of the then radical Methodist movement, once said, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. James says in James 4.2, you do not have... Why? Because you do not ask. And I want to challenge us again this morning. 
to ask for more. You never have to be afraid of asking for more than God can deliver. God can deliver immeasurably more or than anything you could possibly ask. But maybe it's time for us to pray bigger prayers. And I'm not talking about, God, give me a bigger house, a bigger TV, a bigger car. I'm talking about, God, would you do something bigger in my life? God, would you overcome bigger challenges? God, would you give me bigger breakthroughs? God, would you enable bigger dreams to come to pass? Because Paul is talking to the Ephesian church, trying to get them to lift their understanding of what is possible. Lawrence, I so appreciate your encouragement today. God is wanting to do bigger. He's wanting to do bigger through you and through me. And so it says that he is able to do it. Does that mean that he always does it? No, I don't think so. Not even close. Could it be that the immeasurably more that he wants to do in your life actually is dependent? It's dependent on our willingness to ask and not just ask, but ask and then take big action. Hebrews says that faith without, I mean, James says that faith without deeds is dead. You can have all the faith in the world, you can have all the big ask in the world, but if we're going to ask big, then we've got to be willing to step into it with God and act big and do big. And I want us this morning to look at, at how can we, how do we step into this and how do we pray bigger prayers and then what do we have to do in that place in order to see God do more in your life than he is currently doing? There are mountains that some of us live intimidated by. Problems in our health, problems in our marriage, problems in our finances, problems with our kids. Some of us, and we've sat at the foot of those mountains, we've pushed and we've pushed and we don't know how to move it. And we've sat there for days or weeks or months or years or decades. And I believe God is in the business of moving mountains. I love the story, I think it's in Matthew 17. The story of a man who had a monstrous mountain. It just intimidated him. He didn't know what to do about it. And so what did he do? He came to God. What is prayer? Prayer is coming to God. He came to God. But he came to God. He came to Jesus. But Jesus wasn't there. Jesus was out doing something else on another mountain. So he came to the disciples. His mountain was that his son was sick. His son had a, had a demon that was causing him not just, to, not just to have behavioral problems, but this demon would try to throw this kid into the water, try to throw this kid into the fire. Terrified. I can't even imagine the fear that this father lived every day with. Will I come home and will my son still be alive? And he came to Jesus and Jesus wasn't there and his disciples couldn't move it. But then Jesus returned at just the right time. And in a moment, Jesus swept away that mountain. That devil just flew out of there and the boy was completely restored and made whole and handed back to that man. But it only started because that man decided he had to go to God and ask for the mountain to be moved. And the disciples came to Jesus afterwards and said, how come we couldn't move it? And Jesus says, you know what? If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, whatever that mountain is, you can say to this mountain, be moved from here to there and it will be done. Nothing will be impossible for you. I mean, Jesus, what is he doing? He has taken off the limits. I mean, what, what an extraordinary statement. Nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus, that is not my experience. There is a whole lot that's impossible for me. But God says to me, no, 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 Mike, you don't understand. Nothing is impossible for you. You just got to expand your ability to ask. You've got to expand your ability to step in in fresh ways and see what I can do in your life. 
And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I want to use as an illustration, I want to use the conquering of the greatest physical mountain on the planet, which was Mount Everest back in 1953. See, in 1953, Mount Everest was finally conquered by someone very dear to our hearts, Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay. But what was intriguing was at the 40th anniversary of the summiting of uh, Mount Everest, there was a meeting of the National Geographic Society at which the Queen was at, the royal family, uh, many esteemed politicians and climbers from around the world. It was a 40th celebration. Um, and, and, and the remaining team, who were all elderly men by this stage. And at that, at that meeting, um, the team doctor, um, Dr. Ward, got up to give a speech, to give a presentation. And this is what he said. He said, we've been hearing tonight about the extraordinary leadership of Sir John Hunt. But he said, the truth is, there have been 11 previous expeditions, all with good leadership, and they all failed. He said, we've been hearing about the strength and tenacity of our climbers, but there have been 11 previous attempts, all with talented climbers, and none of them failed to make the summit. He said, we've been hearing about the brilliant organization and logistics of the 53 expedition, but there have been many other trips with equally good organization and they all failed to summit. Tonight, what I want to talk to you about is the reason why the 53 expedition were able to conquer Everest and it is due to the work of the unsung hero of Everest, Griffith Pugh. And everyone goes, who the heck is Griffith Pugh? Like I never heard of Griffith Pugh. And this was released in a book just a few years ago. Griffith Pugh was a red-haired Welsh physiologist who was forced on the Everest team by the British Everest Committee because they were afraid that if they didn't summit Everest this time, the Swiss were going to be, somehow be able to do it the following year. And the, the climbers didn't want Griffith Pugh there. He was this strange, obnoxious man who worked with them and walked with them and drew blood from them all the time and had all these crazy ideas about how Everest should be climbed. But what Dr. Michael Ward was saying was he was saying, actually, Pugh was the reason. Because what Griffith Pugh did was he brought a completely different way of climbing the mountain in with that team. And almost all of his methods we still use today, and it's standard in high-altitude mountaineering. You see, what most people don't realize is that the 53 expedition was doomed to failure. Why was it doomed to failure? Because they were going to climb Everest the exact same way all of the other 11 uh, expeditions had done it. They're going to wear the same clothes. They wore knickerbockers, gabardine uh, coats over fishermen's ribbed jerseys and trilby hats. They looked stylish up there, but they froze. They ate with the villagers all the way up. They got gastrointestinal issues. They, they had no understanding of hydration. And so as they got higher and they stopped eating because they were so in so much physiological distress, they stopped eating and they stopped drinking. And the problem then was, back then, the understanding was, actually, dehydration was a character issue and they'd give you a stone to suck on. And they, they, they went up in ordinary hiking boots and slept in ordinary hiking tents and men died up there. I mean, men still die up there now, but men died up there like in ways that we wouldn't understand. And the classic Everest expression suffered from diarrhea, stomach cramps, raging headaches, frostbite, freezing cold. 
and again and again and again. No one could get above 28,000 feet. But Griffith Pugh came in and he said, we're going to have to do this a different way. How many times in our lives do we find ourselves facing mountains in our way and what we do is we keep coming at it the same old way, the same old way that failed last time and we think that this time with a little bit more oomph we can make it happen. But you know what? If one of the key things, if we're going to ask big prayers of God is we need to come and we need to use different approaches. We've got to be willing to try anything that we can try that will get us there because the same ways that failed last time are going to fail this time unless we are creative enough and brave enough to try something different. You know, as Everest, uh, as Hillary and Tenzing Norgay were camped way above the South Pole, just on 28,000 feet, the night before they walked up and summited, they are, they are sleeping in a tent designed by Griffith Pugh, sleeping on airbeds designed by Griffith Pugh, wearing triple-layer capo-insulated boots designed by Griffith Pugh, wearing down-insulated pants and down-insulated jackets designed by Griffith Pugh, uh, Um, melting water on a high-altitude stove designed by Griffith Pugh, drinking water and eating food at the regime set by Griffith Pugh and using supplemental oxygen at the flow flow rates designated by Griffith Pugh. And they got up in the morning and they walked up and they took Everest. And when the photographer came down, his words were, well, that was a bit boring. Now, understand, I'm not saying that Ed Hillary wasn't an astonishing climber. Griffith Pugh himself said that Ed Hillary's ability to stand low oxygen environments and his sheer speed across the ground was remarkable. He was an unbelievable athlete. But despite all of those things, Everest was conquered because they took a new approach. If you want to be someone who sees new breakthroughs in your life, don't get stuck in the old ways that failed last time. Find something new. There's not a problem that you face. Not a problem that you face that someone somewhere hasn't found a way through. That's the truth. So often I, I deal with couples in marriage strife and, and like, oh, no, we've tried everything. <laughs> you know what? You haven't tried everything. Because if you had tried everything, you would have got breakthrough on this. Because there have been plenty of people faced this exact issue that you're struggling with. And so often we just stop again at the foot of our mountain and we try the same things and we get the same discouragements. And if we're going to be people who pray big prayers and see big changes, we've got to be willing to try a different approach. Here's the second thing this morning, and this is an interesting one. Ed Hillary, many times over his life, spoke about, as he called it, the moment where he lost faith in science once and for all. It's an intriguing moment. It was the year previous, prior to the Everest expedition where they summited. They were out tri- doing a whole bunch of training in high-altitude environments. Griffith Pugh was pulling blood out of them all. And one particular blood test suggested that maybe Ed Hillary wasn't fit. It was, just a, it was just one blood test out of many blood tests. But Ed Hillary was incensed. He was offended at this science stuff that would suggest that I'm not the best person on this team. And he was the best person on that team. But here's what happened. Ed Hillary got offended. And he talked about it in later times. And here's the interesting thing. This mountain of a man who conquered Mount Everest, at the time, the 14 highest peaks in the world were still unclimbed. Why didn't Ed Hillary go and knock them all off? He could be remembered not just as the man who climbed Everest, but the man who climbed all of the highest peaks in the world. But Ed Hillary never climbed another peak. Actually, that's not true. He actually twice tried to climb Mount Makalu, the seventh highest peak in the world and technically the most difficult. But here's what he did. Because he was offended 
because he carried that thing that had happened to him with Griffith Pugh all those years earlier. When he was no longer dictated to and had to utilize Griffith Pugh's approaches, he ditched a whole bunch of them and went back to the old climbing style. And twice he had to be carried down from Mount Makalu before they reached the summit. He nearly died twice. And on the second time, the doctor said to him, you can never go to a high altitude environment again or you will die. Isn't it funny how one offense in our lives can keep us out from something God has for us? How many times in my marriage have I found myself stuck on an offense, stuck on a hurt, stuck on a disappointment? And I tell you what, in every married couple, he knows this. When you're stuck on a hurt, there's no way forward. There's no way forward without forgiveness. There's no way forward without letting it go. And I've, I've found that I can spend weeks and months stuck relationally because I won't let go of something. And I'm telling you, if we're going to go forward and see God bring great answers to great prayers, we have to be willing to put aside old offenses. Old offenses can keep us out of big things that God has for us. I, I don't know what, what, what the teacher said. I don't know what your parents said, what the uncle said, what your best friend said, what that pastor said. But I'm telling you, unless you let it go, you're going to be stuck in that thing for the rest of your life. The third thought is this, is that if we're going to step into big prayers and, and the big things God has for us, then, uh, and if we're going to move forward into something that is radically different, we're going to have to expect problems, expect obstacles and overcome them. It's so interesting, Ed, Hillary, and Tenzing Norway got up, they climbed up, they were only several hundred meters before the summit, and what happens? They hit the single most technical obstacle of the whole mountain, and it's when they can literally almost touch the summit. It's become known as the Hillary Step. It's a 40-foot high, almost sheer vertical rock wall, 40 feet high. And you can't go around this. On one side, you have a 10,000-foot drop. That's three kilometers unhindered. And on the right, you have a 8,000-foot drop, 2.4 kilometers. I mean, this thing is in the way. But Ed Hillary and Tenzing Norway didn't get that far to go, oh, Oh, look, oh, that's, wow, didn't expect that, stink, all right, guess we'll go home. Boy, you get that far and you were going to find a way over that thing. And in an astonishing feat of mountaineering, Hillary managed to get himself up through and over what has become known as the Hillary Step. Tenzing Norgay followed him. An absolutely astonishing thing. I tell you what, when you're believing for big things, when you're trusting God for great things, when you want to see mountain, mountains move, I'm telling you, there will be obstacles and some of them will come when you are just about there. And you've got to be committed to go getting through them, getting over them. You've got to understand they are going to come. Don't get shocked when things start to fall apart at the last minute. On the contrary, step into faith. Use your resourcefulness. Pray more. Find a way through it because there will be one. And that mountain that's before you that you've been beseeching God to make small before you, it will be conquered in your life. But you're going to have to expect obstacles and commit to overcoming them. What is your mountain? What is it for you that is sitting out in front of you? And you've got to understand, you know, some mountains will be moved and some won't be. But some of them, if you can't move them, you at least got to get them under your feet. 
You know, Nick Vujicic is a fascinating guy, Australian guy, born with no arms and no legs, born to a, a beautiful Christian family. His father was a pastor. Just an appalling, shocking case of genetic abnormality. Nick Vujicic now has got one of the most impressive speaking ministries on the planet. He travels around speaking at schools, universities, prisons. He goes to every continent on the planet. He motivates people. He talks to people about faith in Christ. That guy is unbelievable. Did he, was his mountain moved? Did he suddenly grow arms and legs? No, but I tell you what, if there's ever a picture of someone who stands on top of his mountain, it's that guy. He turned his mountain into something that was his ministry. And if we can't move our mountains, we can turn them into our ministry. We can use them for the glory of God. I'm telling you that right now. We had a fascinating thing happen in our lives. The very first house we bought as a young couple was a, was a classic, you know, worst house in the best street. We did a bit of renovation work on it, and then we sold it, and we made some money. It was so exciting. We went and bought our second house. We put a bit of money into it, and the market began to slide. Things began to get really tough. We struggled to make our mortgage payments. We could see the writing on the wall. We knew we had to sell our house. And so we ended up selling our house, making a huge loss on it. We lost not only the gains we made from our first house, but we also lost our deposit. We found ourselves back renting again. And then irony of ironies, literally six months later, the Dunedin market had one of its 20-year turnarounds, and houses doubled in value overnight. God, was there any reason why you couldn't just say to us, hey, hang in there for six months, Mike, it's going to be awesome? Didn't happen. So now we're a young couple with three kids desperately trying to get back into the housing market. We're living in this terrible rental property which had all these little rabbit warrens of rooms so that we could have three borders. While, while we've got three young kids, we've got three borders so we can make ends meet and maybe try and scratch together enough finance to get a deposit to, to get into another house. Man, it was a tough season. We, we just managed to get together a few thousand dollars and you know what happened. The washing machine dies. We'd get, a, get, get another few thousand dollars together and something else would die. It was just so difficult. And in the midst of this, I went through some burnout, which was a really fun time. And it was just like, what is going on in our lives? God, what are you doing? And then Liz goes away to a conference. And in the midst of this conference, the speaker pulled her out and said to her, God is saying to you, I'm going to give you a house. So Liz, because one of her top giftings is faith, she goes, God, I'll, t I'll receive that. God, and I want that house in a year. She came home so fired up and pumped up, she told me, and all I could think was, oh dear. There are going to be tears. Because that is not going to happen. There is no way in God's good earth that is going to happen. I know God can part the Red Sea, but that is not going to happen. But Liz began to just take action. She began looking at houses all over the place, but the most important thing she did was she got a nudge of the spirit. And you've got to understand, Lizzie's not a collage girl, but what she did was she got a big bit of paper and she cut out of magazines everything that she felt we needed for our kids in a home and she stuck it up next to her bed. It was a constant reminder to me of my lack of faith. And every morning, she would thank God for the house that he was going to provide for us. And every evening as we went to bed, she just thanked God for the house that God was going to provide. And every night she's thanking God, I'm saying, God, let this, just let us down gently, Lord. Man of faith and power. So the year rolls on. We can't 
we just struggling to get a few grand together. It was just such a tough year. And the whole time I've, I'm living with this sinking feeling. How are we going to get through this when a year rolls around? And then one day I'm at church at my office and a good buddy of mine calls me up and he, and he says, hey, Mike, I want to come and catch up. I'm like, yeah, it'd be cool. Come catch up. So he comes in the office and he, he says this. He said, we, we inherited a bit of property. He said, you know, we sold it. We've tithed off. We've got a little bit left over. And we know you guys want to get into your own home again sometime. He says, we just love to bless you. And he gave us five, $5,000. I mean, we're talking at a, a season when, when houses were maybe, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred grand. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, how much did we buy the house for? Okay, so the house is about 100 grand. Five grand. It was awesome. I'm so full of faith and power that I went away and said, well, that's great, God. Thanks so much. Five grand is not a deposit for a house, is it? <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. I was not in a good space. Two days later, our lawyer calls us and says, hey, can I come and catch up with you? I'm like, sure, come catch up. He says, weirdest thing. He said, a guy came into my office yesterday, strangest thing. He said, he wanted to be completely anonymous, but he wanted to give you some money towards a deposit for your house. Here's five grand. I'm like, wow, that's crazy. It just got crazier. The next day he called me again. He says, you're not going to believe this. He said, a completely different person who knows nothing about the first person came into, a house, came into my office and said, hey, we just want to give five grand towards Mike and Liz just for a deposit for a house. And it just went on and on. Over three weeks from six completely different, in fact, there were two of them that knew of each other, but the other six, out of six sources, God gave us $90,000 as a deposit for our home. Wait, 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 it gets even better. I mean, this is like, we're just blown, like this, you read this in books, it happens to other people, it doesn't happen to people like us. And yet this came in over three weeks, we couldn't believe it, and then this house came available, and it was just like crazy, and, and, and the house had just been fully renovated, and I'm like, no, 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 God. And it, it, you don't buy houses fully renovated, that's just, that's bad financial sense. You buy a house that needs to be renovated and you can, like, this is bad. And I felt God just say to me, just shut up and let me bless you. <laughs> and so then, then we went through some, there were some challenges. There were some obstacles. The people who wanted to give us the house then began to get cold feet and, and we just had to just remain calm and let God do the whole thing. And so then we did it and, we, and the house sale went through and we, do you know what the position date was? It was exactly one year to the day from when God, when, when Liz prayed. God, give us his house in a year. Exactly one year to the day was the day we moved in. Now we can give God some praise. You know, God did for us something that was exceedingly abundantly, immeasurably above all we could ever ask or imagine. And I'm telling you, it wasn't just for us. See, we had such a strong sense at that time that this wasn't just for us, but this somehow was for our congregation. Since that time, not only has the Dunedin Church paid off its buildings, but despite, uh, despite a year and a half campaign to buy the land, because we were on leasehold land, and uh, we were on leasehold land, we went through a lease renegotiation, and they wanted to put our lease up for our church 800%. <laughs> Think about that for a second. We're not talking 10%. 800%. We began to embark on this and we need to buy the land. We need to buy the land. After a year and a half of me just harassing this CEO, he rang me up. He says, stop it. He said, that land that the church is on is a little bit of land in the midst of a big jigsaw puzzle. We're never going to sell it. Do you understand that? Stop calling me. No more emails. I said, all right, God, it's over to you now. 
Three months later, on the front page of the ODT, Otago Daily Times paper, was this whole thing about, about they were just selling five plots of land in the very middle of the jigsaw puzzle, and one of them was ours. It's an amazing story. We bought the land. Uh, God not only provided the land, but he also provided the deposit. It's a crazy story. But we absolutely knew that somehow that mountain was connected to the other mountain. Here it gets even crazier. Since then, we have had five or six young couples from Dunedin who said, you know what, when that happened to you and God did that for you, we believe that was for us as well. We just believe that was for us as a congregation. And so since that time, we just want to tell you that we just believe that God would give us a house. We're a young couple. We're studying at university. Today, today or, or, or this week, we just bought our first house. Couple after couple after couple. See, God doesn't just move mountains for you. God moves mountains for those around you as well. God, What God does in you and through you, He wants to do in and through others. And I'm not saying it's an easy journey, but I am telling you this. If my life tells me anything, it tells me that God is wanting to do immeasurably more than all we could ask. And so maybe it's about time we started lifting our ask and then started lifting our action. As we come to a close, we've got the band up. It would be just fantastic. I love this, this, this statement that Andy Stanley made. Andy Stanley said this. He said, I don't want to get to the end of my life and wonder what God might have done if I had trusted him. I don't want to get to the end of my life and wonder what God might have done if I trusted him. And I don't want you to get to the end of your life and wonder what God might have done if you trusted him. If you trusted him with your 20s, if you trusted him with the early years of your marriage, if you trusted him with your finances, if you trusted him with some of the mountains that you're facing, because we all face them, we've all got them. Even in our good times, there's always challenges. I don't want you to get to the end of, the end of your life and go, oh my gosh, what might God have done if I had just taken him at his word, if I'd actually believed that he was interested in the details of my life, and if I'd gone for it, if I'd started to ask and pray bigger prayers, if I'd started to take different action, if I'd stepped into things and let go of old offenses like he said I should, if I'd lived a freer life, and if I'd gone for the things that God was calling me to go for, I wonder what God might have done. Don't live your life that way. Don't live your life that way. And so my challenge for us today is this. Will you do what Liz did and turn your mountain into a big prayer and be willing to commit to it until either God shifts it or puts it under your feet? That's my challenge. And I want you to know that I've got something like that in my life that I am committing to for the next year, the next, as long as it takes for God to do this. Something that's been sitting there for a while, something that actually, I've got to do this. And, and you know what? In saying this, I'm going to be coming to God saying, God, I want you to move this mountain for me. And at the same time, I'm going to be saying, okay, God, how do I do this different? How do I do this different, God? Who do you want me to go to? What resources do you want me to use? What creative solutions have I not even considered yet? I'm also going to be saying, God, what offenses do I need to let go of? What hurts and disappointments from the past are keeping me anchored in old ways? And I'm also going to be saying to God, God, I'm expecting obstacles, so that's okay. When they come, we're going to keep going through. Amen. Is there anyone here today who might join me in committing ourselves to finding out what God might do in our lives if we would just trust Him? Can we all stand together this morning? Let's just stand and close our eyes. And, and I want you just to take a moment where you are. Start working out what that is for you. Maybe you need to write something down. Maybe you need to put it up beside your bed like listen. Maybe you need to commit yourself to more than just, oh God, would you help with this? But 
Every day, God, would you help with this? Come on, God, God, would you give me a breakthrough in this? Get a little bit fired up about it. Day after day on the days you feel like it and the days you don't feel like it, go for it anyway. Maybe it's time for us to believe for more. Mighty God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you that you are the God who does immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. Holy Ghost, we invite you into us now because God, this comes from the inside out. So God, would you change us? God, would you move us in a faith, God? Would you give us resourceful thinking, Lord, at a level we haven't experienced? God, would you enable us to be strong enough to forgive and let go and lay aside any of the hurts from the past or the present that might be holding us down? And God, would you give us the boldness and the courage to be able to look at obstacles in the face and just go right through them? You know, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'm telling you, this is the most important mountain you need to move. And the beautiful thing is, it's as simple as asking Him into your life. The Bible says that for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believed in Him will not perish but have eternal life. He loves you. The Bible also says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You've sinned, I've sinned. And it's our sin that keeps us separate from God, from knowing Him and experiencing His love in our lives. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way through and if you will put your faith in Him and in His death on the cross that He died for you, you can know God and experience Him in your life. It is unbelievable. You have so much to look forward to. The Bible says that for all those who received Him, for those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. If that's you this morning, if you know I'm talking to you, would you pray this prayer with me? Would you invite Jesus into your world this morning? Let Him make you new on the inside. Let Him start everything fresh for you. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank You that You love me. God, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner this morning. But I ask for Your forgiveness. And I put my trust in Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. I receive You into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Make me new right now and let me experience and know this God who loves me. In Jesus' name, amen.